0: Welcome, I'm Jennifer Miller, a fellow at the Edmund J. Safra Center for Ethics at Harvard University, where my work explores the ethics of the pharmaceutical industry. The subject of today's podcast, however, will be much broader, covering the human rights practices of multinational companies across all business sectors. Joining me to explore this topic is Dr. John Ruggie, who will discuss his experiences drafting the United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights, and his current plans for advancing their implementation in multinational companies. This discussion was previously recorded on November 25th, 2013, for a conference I co-chaired with philosopher Nir Ayal at Harvard's Medical School. The conference was titled, "Companies' Global Health Footprint, Could Rating Help?' We hope you enjoy this podcast. Professor Ruggie is based in the Kennedy School of Government here at Harvard, and he's also duly appointed in Harvard Law School. Uh, He's long been involved in practical policy work, most notably uh, having drafted the United Nations Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. They constitute to date the most comprehensive and authoritative global standard in the area of business and human rights, and also the subject of today's discussion. I thought we'd begin by talking about the process that you followed in developing the standards. I understand at the beginning it was mostly a descriptive Mm -hmm. initiative.
1: That's correct. uh, This was a mandate under the uh, Human Rights Council, the UN Human Rights Council. Um, And at first, um, they didn't really want me to do very much, uh, uh, except to um, identify what the uh, sort of major patterns were of corporate-related human rights uh, issues. Um, and what the prevailing standards were that applied to states in relation to business and human rights um, and what, if any, legal or other standards um, existed that applied to companies. So it was a very much a, a factual mapping exercise uh, initially. It was uh, an intensely consultative process. Uh, we conducted more than 50 um, or nearly 50 international consultations on every continent. So nobody could say, you didn't hear our story. Before we put together um, any set of recommendations, we wanted to try them out to see whether that actually work. So one of the things that we we promoted very strongly in the guiding principles is the idea that companies ought to do what we call human rights due diligence, um, or ought to adopt human rights due diligence uh, processes. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we said that, we actually worked with 10 companies to see what that would look like inside a company. How would it work? How would it be embedded into various business units and business functions? And they did that for a year or so uh, and issued a report. Uh, We consulted with corporate lawyers on the same subject. uh, And then we had some concrete evidence how this could work in practice.
0: So the 10 companies, did they help shape the standards, or they really just helped test the standards?
1: Um, we We came to the exercise with some basic ideas. Uh, of what needed to be done. Um, w- none of us had ever worked inside a major multinational corporation. And It wasn't until they tried to explain to their procurement department or to their Asian division or whatever what the issue was that we realized that there were uh, refinements that needed to be made um, and, uh, and and better explanatory material that needed to be provided.
0: I found something quite amazing. One, that you were able to get 10 companies to agree to anything. But more impressive is that you were able to get the International Chamber of Commerce to support your work, both the standards and their implementation. So how did that happen?
1: Well, we reached out to all um, major stakeholder bodies right at the beginning. Uh, So the business community was present from the start, which they typically are not in human rights related issues. Mm -hmm. They're usually the target. Um, and it's, uh, states and, and, and activist groups who are in the room doing the negotiation. I said from the beginning, that's not going to work.
0: Kofi Annan said that he was looking for, and, and you had, um, a competency in both human rights and business, which was unique, but you also had a neutrality.
1: This was such a controversial area that was so so deeply conflicted that to try to get a, a person from one of the major stakeholder groups to lead the process, mm-hmm. Um, would, would, wouldn't have worked.
0: So, so let's talk about the principles. So there were 31 mm-hmm. in general. What themes did you cover um, and what did they look like?
1: Well, the, um, the guiding principles um, rest on what we call three pillars. Um, one is the state duty to protect um, against human rights abuses by anybody, not only state agents, but uh, also uh, third parties, which by definition includes business. So um, the state duty to protect is the first core element. Secondly, um, an independent uh, corporate responsibility to respect rights. By independent, um, what we meant was that it wasn't dependent upon whether or not states were fulfilling their obligations. This was a separate business responsibility. Um, and the third um, was access to remedy. Um, rights don't mean very much if uh, there is no access to remedy. And so protect, respect, remedy were the three pillars of the uh, guiding principle. Uh, There was a a crucial decision that had to be made in the end, um, which is that um, we were exploring um, uh, the possibility of a legal uh, instrument that um, would would hold companies to account for violation of gross human rights abuses that have uh, rise to the level of international crimes. Um, and the, the message back from uh, governments more than anybody else was that that would, be, that would in itself be such a complex exercise um, that um, there would be no way that the guiding principles could be adopted in the time frame that we had uh, if that were included. So I issued that as a second sort of recommendation, as a, as a separate recommendation.
0: So I don't want to gloss over this um, sort of complicated nature. Why is it so complicated to make something um, legally binding for multinational companies?
1: Well, the, the, the challenge of a, a treaty instrument, I mean, look how long we've been at Kyoto, right? We, uh, and we still don't have um, an, an, an agreed um, uh, instrument um when issues are very complex when interests uh, are highly divergent when you're aiming for universal coverage all rights all and all all rights holders mm-hmm. all countries all businesses um it's it, it is difficult to um imagine that you're going to get a comprehensive legally binding instrument anytime soon so the challenge really is can you set in motion um, steps that cumulatively reduce the incidence um, of corporate-related human rights harm uh, and eventually uh, um, build up enough of a basis for sort of specific legal instruments uh, to be negotiated um, to fill gaps.
0: What do you think about the idea of accreditation, certification, and rating systems as means for both perhaps specifying some of the principles um, as well as encouraging their implementation?
1: Right, right. Well, one of the things that I was very keen to do is have have governments um, that are supportive of the guiding principles, um, and, and by the way, the endorsement in the Human Rights Council was unanimous, and so mm-hmm. and you can't get you can't get better. That was than amazing,
0: that. right? You can't
1: get better than that. But to encourage governments to um, to require report uh, uh, re- uh, human rights reporting, mm-hmm. so in the United States now, um, any entity, any U.S. entity that invests more than five hundred thousand dollars in Myanmar, has to issue an annual report, including. Uh, its human rights impacts and how it's managing them. Now, that's, that's an important follow-up step. Now, now, the next follow-up step comes, namely, that there isn't a single reporting instrument available. So my team, which has now formed itself into a non-profit, mm-hmm. together with an accounting firm, is developing reporting standards that then can be used And then when the reporting standards are in place, then the next step will be an uh, assurance process that the reporting is accurate. And so the ball keeps rolling.
0: And so what I found interesting about, I think you hint in the direction that you're headed, is that you're not just looking at policy, right? You're looking at outcomes. Oh, absolutely. So they have to have a process, but they have to show that there was um, evidence of outcome, successful implementation. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, negotiating a piece of paper is easy. Mm -hmm. Making, making things happen on the ground is where the challenge is.
0: Wrapping up, um, what have been the effects on companies and human rights um, since the implementation of the guiding principles? Uh, do you see businesses becoming more just and um, human rights field advancing since, since their adoption? Well,
1: uh, you can't generalize about all. There's 88,000 multinational Companies in the world and there's something like eight hundred thousand subsidiaries and, and I, I can't keep track of all of those um, but I, I certainly see a much greater um, interest in and a much greater capacity um, to do the kinds of uh, human rights due diligence um, that uh, that we recommended uh, to establish grievance mechanisms uh, that people have access to um, and on the part of governments um, Um, the adoption of national implementation plans on the part of stock exchanges, um, um, listing requirements, reporting requirements. They're proliferating um, at at a considerable pace. Uh, We're working very closely still um, in our nonprofit capacity with governments um, from Latin America to Southeast Asia uh, and with companies um, everywhere. Uh, to uh, To embed these things, um, and in the meantime the various regulatory agencies you know this worked its way into uh, into u s regulation it 's worked its way into eu regulation um, so th- th- there's a momentum there that that, that we don 't have to worry about it 's moving on its own
0: right you Provided us with a set of standards and principles that we can rally around. So you've defined for us what we should be looking for, and now it sounds like we can focus on the implementation piece mm-hmm. um, in greater and greater detail every day. So thank you, John, it's for my taking this time. Thank you. Learned so much, and can't I can't thank you enough.
1: No, oh, it's great. Thank you so much. Good luck with the conference.
0: Thank you. Thank you.